What's the royal family secret? Great question. I'd love to tell you, especially if you think you have a dysfunctional family. I actually learned this when my dad went for life-saving surgery. And with the death of the queen, I've been thinking a lot about this. And look, whether or not you're a monarchist, the queen's death is a global conversation. And it's okay to grieve the life of someone you never knew. But how is it that so many people seem to know exactly all of the royal family secrets? Will and Kate's relationship? How evil or wonderful Meghan is? What's happening with Harry? Why do we attribute true stories to a family we truly don't know? Well, we don't just do this with the royals. We do this with many families, including those of commoners, neighbors, strangers. That other family always has to be some sort of measuring stick to compare your family, right? But I'll tell you this right now. From experience, you need to learn to love what you have before life teaches you to love what you lost. So I'm about to share the royal family secret. Wait. You thought I had some dirt on them? No, this is probably more like dirt on you. Uh-oh. Her hair is curly, her teeth are pearly. She's got an edge, but she's still pretty girly. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes with Dahlia. As the world grieves the queen, one of the most famous people of all time, something else is taking center stage along with that conversation. Gossip. Lots and lots of gossip conversations. Even my own mother was telling me all about these things about Megan, and I'm thinking, how does my mom know more about Megan's personal life than she knows about mine? And as it turns out, there's a science behind our infatuation with celebrity gossip. We have these brains that are actually wired to be intrigued by it. And it doesn't have to be celebrity gossip. It can be the stories you tell yourself about other people. Stories that become truths in your head. Stories that kind of serve to undermine the truth about your own life. And it's something I actually discovered when my dad had quadruple bypass surgery. I'll get to that. But before we get to the story researched by the Dahlia National Research Institute of Dahlia Research, let's look at the scientific research behind this. So gossip comprises as much as 65% of our conversations, if not more. And psychology even suggests that gossip is like the glue that binds social groups together. It serves as a mechanism that connects one with another, right? And it might be this sort of evolutionary adaptation because back in our prehistoric days, it's gossip that actually helped us survive and thrive. It's kind of like if you think of your caveman cousin who lived in some small community where everybody knew each other and there were no Instagram reels to be seen and strangers didn't come by very often. So caveman Dan, and I say that because it's the only name that seems to rhyme that comes to mind and I never even read Dr. Seuss books as a kid, and I feel like I could have written one. But Caveman Dan, for instance, he had to be prepared 
for a stranger, for any stranger, for some Tarzan swinging by from another community. And not only did our ancestors have to get information against these other communities, but they also had to figure out how to survive within their own community, because that's where their main competitors were. So they had to determine who's reliable here? With whom can I exchange information? Who's untrustworthy? Who makes a good mate? How do I manage relationships, alliances? And so this interest to acquire information about the private lives of others, well, that would have been favored by natural selection. And people who gossiped, well, these were people who were interested in others' affairs. They were more successful than those who didn't gossip. These are the genes that have been passed down to you and me. And to be fair, the people who run TMZ and any other media outlet that gossips, they probably are a lot more financially successful than you and me. So why is this podcast not about gossip? But I digress. Well, it's about gossip, but it's not gossiping. Haha. <laughs> But it's still not making the money of TMZ and those others. But, 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 the science of psychology also suggests that the gossip we find most interesting is about people of the same sex and around the same age as us. And think about it. The people in your demographic are the ones you're most likely competing with, right? So information about their private lives could be exploited to improve your own social score. And we live in a time when social score is of utmost importance. But evolution didn't prepare us to handle the information that we're constantly bombarded with online, from the royal family to the Kardashian family to some person with 5 million followers whom you don't even know, but you seem to know every single thing they ingest or post online. And then you look at every single person you follow or friend online whom you don't even know, you still know way, way too much about others. So when you become familiarized with celebrities and learn the details of their lives, it likely triggers the same brain mechanisms that evolve to keep us informed about our community members. And after seeing and hearing about the queen for years, she may seem like someone familiar, and the royal family may seem like the perfect family to idolize or for some attack to raise your social score. And I've done this a lot, right? Not attack, but idolize other families because I always felt as though that social score of my family was just not the same as others. We weren't in the same social ranks. Maybe it was also because we weren't in the same economic ranks. So everything just felt so very different to me. And especially as someone who comes from, well, what's the technical term for it? A weird family. I always wished to have that perfect family, which brings me to my dad's quadruple bypass. Have you ever looked at a family and you said, oh, I wish my family could be like that one. Well, you dream that yours could just be like that TV perfect family that sits down for these Sunday dinners and always cheering each other on and always helping each other out. But you don't have that, right? Because your family is dysfunctional. 
Well, at least mine is. And it, it wasn't just my friends' families that I wished for. I often looked at other families and just... I'd, I'd walk by a house on a street and the light would be on in the living room and you could just see in the house. And I thought, wow, I wish, I wish that could be my family. I, I wish to be a part of someone else's family instead of mine or even one of those TV families who always seem to solve their problems over massive family dinners in the backyard under the twinkle of lights. And it's not like I come from this broken family. My parents have been married, I think it's going on a hundred years now, not sure, but they can't take offense because neither of them remembers my age. I'm lucky if one of them even gets my name right on the second try. And to be fair, I'd often confuse my older brother with my dad. The number of times I'd say my dad when referring to my older brother without intentionally meaning to call him my dad, because trust me, if I intentionally meant to call him something, it probably would have been more in line with calling him a mother. And it's not that they look alike, my dad and my brother. My brother actually looks more like my mother, but it's that my brother was like my authority figure. And my older brother is nothing like my baby brother. You'd never even know that they're brothers. But still, though they're complete opposites, I would not call my baby brother mother. But then again, he too can be a mother of a brother sometimes. But this is the nucleus of my family. Or as I sometimes feel, this is my nuclear family. Because things can explode at any time. Even when things are great they may not always seem so good. You see, we're all nut jobs, just some are nuttier than others. And since I was a little girl, of course I'd look at these other families and yearn for my mishpacha to be a familia. And it's not that I wanted to be Italian, it's just that I wanted the stereotype of that tight-knit Italian family or just a tight-knit family, period. And then one day, my father had quadruple bypass surgery. And I'm sitting in this ICU waiting room with my mother and my baby brother, and I saw La Familia. Not the movie, but the stereotype. And you should have been there, because... It was something to witness. The patriarch was in the ICU, and he was getting the same type of surgery as my father. And I see the rest of their family gathered in the waiting room, the mama, the siblings, the husbands, the wives, the laughter. And it felt like it's as if to rub it in my face because they got the prime seats in the middle of that ICU waiting room. These are the cushy seats in front of the deluxe 17-inch big screen, a luxurious size in this hospital to be sure. But I'm looking at them and they have perfect lives, perfect seats, naturally, of course, and it's like, if we were scored for waiting room attendance, their family would have beaten my family quite handedly. And for some reason, 
that really bothered me. And why would I even think about this as a score? Why would I be comparing this family whom I'd never even met to mine? But several hours passed and nurses brought them blankets. It was practically hotel-like service for them. And their family just seemed to grow and grow. And mine shrunk more and more into these less cushy, blanketless seats of ours. And this whole time, this whole time while my dad is having his chest sawed open and his heart refurbished, instead of thinking about my dad, I'm thinking about this family who's right in front of me, thinking about their dad. And that was helping me to keep my thoughts off of something that I probably didn't want to think about. And finally, we go in, we get to visit my dad, and he's lying there unconscious, but he's on target and doing well for someone who just had veins pulled out of his legs and attached to his heart and had pretty much had like a a body renovation. And he kind of looked like he does when he watches TV while sleeping on the couch, The biggest difference was that he was intubated and had tubes sticking in and out of him. And it was very sad to see. And it was even sadder to hear my mom say, I still feel like I'm 21. And he's 28. I don't know how we got here. But they did get here. Together. More than a hundred years later or so it feels in this century of the divorce, right? And we left my dad in the ICU and returned to the waiting room, and it's close to midnight. The familia was gone, all except one guy. And somehow we started talking. He planned to stay overnight. It was his third night in a row in the ICU on his luxurious waiting room chair. A few days earlier... His 56-year-old father went in for a routine bypass and a valve replacement. And he says to me, it was supposed to be a walk in the park. It turns out that the patriarch of La Familia, the father, had many complications. And as the son described it to me, things were not looking good. And I remembered that amidst all of his family's laughter, I saw his mother's tears. And I saw, I saw the son's fears. And I was just too busy being jealous to actually notice the difference between reality and what was real. And the next day, When we went back to the ICU to visit my dad, the familia was not there. Not one of them. The day after that, the familia was not even in the unit where heart patients are moved either. And to this day, 
that familiar finds its way into my thoughts. But not because I wish my family was more like theirs. You see, they may have seemed perfect, but at the same time, I thought never in a million years would I want to change my mishpacha for their family. I figured my family may be nuclear, but nuclear energy isn't always so bad. A nuclear force can be 100 times stronger than conventional energies, and it can provide much more power than the alternative. Someone once told me, if everybody got to put their biggest problems in the middle of a circle and then got to choose any problem to draw from that as their own, each person would take back the very problems that he or she put in that circle. And let me tell you, depending on the day, I may want to toss a family member or three into that circle. But love what you have before life teaches you to love what you lost. And remember, the most normal people you know are the ones you don't know, you weirdo. And even as a weirdo, you're still much more normal than I. And speaking of normal, you know, it's a myth. Normal is a myth. And Gabor Mate, one of the most renowned people in the world on the topic of addiction and anxiety, he will be joining us in an upcoming episode to talk about his new book, The Myth of Normal, Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture. In the meantime, I may not be renowned, but I'm always here for you. So thanks for dropping by the neighbor Alia. And I invite you to drop by my Instagram at Dahlia Kurtz. Come say hi, say help, say whatever you need. Now go, live and help live and be weird too, because it's a great way to live. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Neighbor It is with great pleasure that I welcome you all here this evening. Thank you, Mr. Prime Minister of Canada, for making me feel so old. 